Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com. been waiting for this for a long time little rebecca black to start a friday it doesn't get much better than that does it <laughs> yeah actually it gets a lot better than that but we'll take it last hour of the show at least the live portion of it it's overnight america i'm on facebook ryan wrecker radio you can message me on there if you have any ideas or topics or anything else for that matter comments on the show i'm always happy to hear them if you want to call in you can we can make it a little more flexible at 314-436-7900 or 800-925-1120. And right off the bat, we have James calling in. Based on our last guest from the last hour, Dr. Augusto Lopez-Claros. James, welcome to Overnight America. Hey, hey, thanks for having me. I, I do want to confess that I missed a lot of what he was saying. I got caught up in the part I heard at the end. What What came to my mind was I love when Trump said things like, America first. You know, we're going to take care of ourselves. We're going to have our own oil, food, or water. Uh, we're going to have our own workforce. And we're going to be able to take care of ourselves. So we're going to do certain things to make sure America is doing well. So when I was listening to the doctor talk, I, all I heard was, a, well, from what I heard, was like a global networking again, uh, a u, unifying with the European Union and all these others where everybody's kind of equal, everybody kind of gets the same. And um, you put in there that maybe America could still be a leader in that particular situation. I think China has everything locked up when it comes to, you know, global economics. I mean, everything you pick up is made in China. Um, so it, it, I'm, I'm, I'm not a conspiracy guy. I do believe there is a one-world government that's coming. And I don't think it's going to be controlled by the United States. That's my fear I have with some of the verbiage that that he had, because I believe mm-hmm. the United States can be self-sustaining. I believe that we can take care of ourselves. Uh, charity begins at home and then it spreads abroad. We take care of us and then we can spread out and help others. But coming together and unifying, I mean, I, I can see it coming, but I'm not sure how it's all going to work out. But that's just 
something that was on my mind. That's one thing I loved about Trump was <clears throat> let's take care of America and we will help well, other people, but let's take care of us first. Yeah, let me point out, and I don't know if you ever use the radio.com app or online or anything like that. I don't remember, but I asked him specifically that. I'm guessing it was about 1020-ish, somewhere in there, 1025. So I brought that up in a way to say that, and I, I tried, I did it in a roundabout way, but I was asking him about how the United States in a lot of ways have to submit to the interests of other countries before ourselves, and then we're expected to brunt the load for everything, financial burden, military burden, things like that, which leads to us, you know, why should we submit to this, you know, world governance type of deal? And he answered it. And I got to tell you, James, either, either I am not smart enough to follow his answer, or he didn't answer it fully for me to, to, to grab onto that. And I think that maybe his answer is to try to reorganize some of the different organizations that exist as opposed to create a more umbrella organization. I don't think he was advocating for that. I think what he was advocating was that we find ways to coexist through some of these organizations that already exist by cutting out some of the problems and addressing them through the organizations as opposed to independently as a country. Um, and then again, and I, I got to admit this too, even through the person that booked this interview with us, I told him that I was very skeptical of plans like this because of exactly what you laid out. And I tried to ask him questions of why, uh, you know, that, that, that laid out why I was skeptical. And I thought he did, you know, he, he answered a lot of them in his own way. Um, I don't know how long that you listened to the interview. If you missed that one question, go back to about yeah, 10, 15, yeah, I missed, 10, I missed 20. a lot of it. I was trying to get back to it, but I, I couldn't get back. I'm sorry. No, I understand. It, you, I would go back and, and listen to how he answers it because I did ask that question and maybe I uh, asked it in a weird way, but go back and listen to it. And I think that would help and that will probably answer better than I could right there. But I appreciate your call. Thank you. Uh, 314-436-7900. Some text messages coming in. Uh, you have a superb guest this evening. Uh, another text message. How wise do you think that guy was? I say very wise. That was Dr. Augusto Lopez. Claros, and he was on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line. I should have said that earlier, too, so it's <laughs> we'll say that now while we still can. Yeah, I went pretty late with that interview, but that was fine. He spent the full hour with us, and like I mentioned before, we started that at 10.06 p.m. Central Time, and for him, he's overseas in Spain. That was 5.06 a.m. Friday morning. He woke up early on a Friday morning just to do that hour with us and to spend all of that time. And I also appreciate that he told us and where you can go and read this for uh, yourself for free. So you don't have to spend, like I went online and I was curious because when he said that the publisher sets the price of the book. So maybe you just go to my website and I have it up there for free, the global So I went to Amazon and I did a search for the global governance and it's a college textbook. It's sold as a college textbook. So it's like $120 or something like that. <laughs> it's expensive. But again and again, that's what college books are way overpriced. And that's what those publishers do. They they up the uh, ante for that. So Dr. Uh, Lopez Claros just giving you the little handy tip that if you did want to check it out, go get the free download at uh, globalgovernanceforum.org. <laughs> Quite pricey. All right. So uh, I hope those college kids that have that in some course are able to find it, download it, and go to their student computer lab and print it for free save themselves hundred and some dollars. But then again, what happens when you're in college? 
oh, uh, money is just given to me. I'll just add more debt onto what I already have. So what's the point? An extra hundred dollars, <laughs> please. Oh, it's so bad. The college textbook scam. 314-436-7900. When we come back, I saw that an Oklahoma representative wants to create a Bigfoot bill, which is great. We should talk about that. In Silicon Valley, have they ruined work culture? I don't know if, if you've noticed in the past five or 10 years, the places you've worked at have added little things into it to make it more, I don't know, uh, what I like to call millennial friendly or some of the younger generation friendly. But now this Wired Magazine article says it's ruining work culture. We'll talk about that, too, on Overnight America KMOX. Weekday mornings at 8.30, Charlie Brennan and Amy Marks Kors provide perspective on KMOX and KMOX.com. Welcome back. It's Overnight America. And, yeah, we had some great guests the last couple of hours. In fact, if you want to talk about any of those interviews or anything else, feel free to just bring it up now. 314-436-7900. Or 800-925-1120. And I was just talking about a guest, well, I would just say a guest, a caller that frequently would call into the show. And I haven't heard from him in a while. So we might have to do a shout out to see if he's listening right now. If you remember the Bobo jokes, and his name was Mike who would call in, he would be, um, was it Preacher Mike, Pastor Mike? He would, Minister Mike, excuse me, Minister Mike. I haven't heard from him in probably over a couple of months now. Has it been that long? I, it has to be at easily before the start of the year. I wonder what, oh, sorry. I had that's uh, not muted. I apologize. I was pulling up a story to uh, talk about, and I didn't have the window muted. But um, where is he? If Minister Mike is listening right now, you got to call in. We, we're worried that something might be wrong. How long? We don't exactly know how long it's been. I'm guessing it's been at least two months since he's called in, maybe a month. So we worry about his well-being. <laughs> maybe we'll have to try reaching out to him some other ways. But uh, Fox News had this one Oklahoma representative is introducing a bill to create a Bigfoot hunting season. The state's DNR, the, the Wildlife Conservation, they've measured that this is unusual. I don't know if it's necessary uh, because we've talked about this in the past of what it would take to tag and bag a uh, a. Bigfoot, if you found one, a lot of areas actually don't recognize the existence of Bigfoot. But then again, some places do, and they put protections on the Bigfoot. I think probably because the legislators believe that maybe it's a dude in a suit. So if you see one, it's probably some guy playing a prank and they don't want you to shoot and kill someone for a prank. But then again, there's a representative. His name is Justin Humphrey. It's House Bill 1648, urging the Oklahoma Wildlife Conservation Commission to establish a Bigfoot hunting season. I, for one, think this is genius. I think that it's going to draw a lot of people to the area, and I think it will help a lot in order to try to get some extra funds into it when we're already talking about tourism and travel being restricted in so many ways. People don't want to just go anywhere anymore. Hey, how about you get out in the woods where it's safe, COVID-friendly? You can be alone. You can do your thing. Go hunt for Bigfoot. Go have at it. I reached out to Dave Glover, who hosts a show on our sister station, who actually went on in in uh, a Bigfoot hunt and had some pretty amazing experiences doing so. So I want to get him on the show. I'm going to try for next week so we can talk about his Bigfoot hunting experience. But they say real or not, lack of support could be a problem. You want to be prepared for this. And even if there were laws that you can't kill a Bigfoot and you honestly believe you're looking at a Bigfoot, uh, 
uh, you're not number one. But if you were, uh, let's just say you would probably be more than happy to take the fine associated with uh, bagging one of these or tagging them or whatever the term would be. And then the repercussion, but then you'd be world famous because you'd be the first person to catch a Bigfoot. There's a lot of stories about Bigfoot. I know that Kevin Clean, one of my favorite whole nother stories is when he talked to someone about Bigfoot sightings here in Missouri. It was awesome. And some of the signs and the things that witnesses said when they found them here. You think Bigfoot have the ability to listen to radio? I mean, we could technically be broadcasting to Sasquatch right now before we even know it. Said here at the department, we use science to make management decisions, and we do not recognize Bigfoot as a wildlife species in Oklahoma. Now, just play along. You know it's going to be a good thing for them in the end. It's like punks a Tony Phil, right? Even though you know that little groundhog doesn't actually predict the weather, it's still something that you kind of put on. It's a nice little festival, and you have some fun, and you do your thing. I really believe that take that, do that, have some fun with it, recognize it, the Bigfoot Festival and Conference, bring them in and just do it, right? There's another thing I found. Silicon Valley ruined work culture. I'm going to explain to you something about work culture. And you tell me if this sounds like where you work right now. And this is how a Wired story came up. Uh, I don't know if you're in the position to close your eyes. You don't need to for something like this. If you could just use your imagination. It says you stroll into the office a little past 9 a.m., you got here in a company-sponsored bus that featured cushioned seats, Wi-Fi, and a distinct lack of eye contact. You're wearing your weekend casual, even though it's a Wednesday. The office kitchen has green juice and uh, growlers, and which are free, as same with breakfast and lunch. The office is lined with screens where your remote colleagues might pop up as a talking head. The CEO is on a hoverboard and moves past you. You find yourself to your desk. Not the one assigned, but just a desk where you put down your laptop. You put in your earphones. You turn up your music. You drown out the world around you for the next 12 hours, and you're crushing it. And they say, this almost sounds like out of a movie. It sounds like it's some sort of plot. But, you know, believe it or not, there's a lot of workplaces that try to adapt to the world. And they said, oh, we need to do this. This is what all the hip places do. Uh, do and this is what all the young guys they all want to work in atmospheres like this and oh they all want the the treatment or whatever it is as much as i would love to have free lunch and breakfast and all of those things when i walk into work you know coffee's pretty good but it would be nice if they offer that sort of thing once in a while radio stations do get food catered in there might be a business or something that's uh advertising on one of our sister stations and they might come in for you know to record a commercial spot or whatever and they might be nice to bring something in for us to try those are always the most popular days because as soon as there is food in the uh, kitchen area it's almost like uh bugs into a bug zapper we are just drawn to it and and we get snapped right into it i'm never lucky enough to be around when that happens it seems like whenever i come in it's always the empty boxes and all the little trimmings and stuff that people have picked over i'm never there at a time where i can actually eat and enjoy it but that's uh the the workspace and, and that's what sometimes these large corporate companies believe employees want they want to use it as a way to make it look inviting and fun and hip. And oh, let's bring in the foosball and ping pong tables. And oh, let's put a pool table over here. And how about we put a slide? Oh, won't that be great? There'll be a slide. Everyone will love it. 
Mike Robbins, an executive coach, is, is quoted inside of this Wired story and says companies like Google, Microsoft, Wells Fargo, and the NBA, they say everyone wants to copy what's happening in Silicon Valley. There's all of this interest in what's going on. They see it as, hey, this is a sign that you're successful if you have a slide inside of it. And that's not the case. In fact, they find that policies that uh, are put in place and all of these other things, they may sound good, but what it does is encourage um, this work culture that is nonstop, as in, hey, they don't want you ever to leave. It's like Hotel California. You can check out anytime you want, but you can never leave. That's what it's like. And they they also find that when you self when you just add more and more to stimulate over and over and over again, we just got to overly stimulate you in order to keep you interested, to keep you on top of what you're doing. It is a little dangerous mind trick that go on over and over again. It, it adds into uh, uh, workaholism, you know, workaholic. This type of culture is something that you can't get around because, hey, it's more fun. Why don't you come to work? Oh, stay late. Don't worry. You know, we'll, we'll get you something from the lunch bar. Do this, do that. And then you find yourself there because they trick you into being there. Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily the case. Some people say they want to go back to the way it was in the 1950s. It wasn't perfect. But in the back in the 1950s, the art of being able to punch in, punch out and not have any any connection to work after you're done is what most people would rather have than the uh, foosball tables and the slides. And can you blame them? I feel like working in radio, I'm constantly on. I'm looking for things to talk about. I'm trying to find stories, even if uh, I'm just doing something at my own leisure and an idea comes to mind. I feel like I have to stop what I'm doing and I have to jot an idea down and say, okay, I can, I can do this. This sounds like a good segment. I should look this up. I should research this. Or if it's just a small observation, just it, it could be the smallest, stupidest observation, like looking up into the sky and saying, oh, that, that looks like uh, the state of Missouri cloud. I wonder when the last time a, an adult laid down and looked into the clouds and you know, I'd, I'll be like, oh, OK, I can do that. Obviously, that doesn't make for a good radio segment, but those are the type of ideas like, oh, am I always looking for something to do there? I'm lucky enough where I do that and it just so happens to match my lifestyle. It's not something that I am committing myself to do which I wouldn't enjoy already. It's kind of one of the huge advantages of working in radio. So many people do it and they love it and they enjoy it and it just feels right. And it's addicting in that sense and it's unforgiving and there's all kinds of other problems with the industry, but at least you enjoy it. You're doing something that you can find yourself uh, not dreading every single day, which is a good thing. However, if I were to start showing up at the radio stations and I see a pool table and foosball tables and things like that, I'm going to guess most of the people there would just mostly ignore it. Yeah, I, I don't think it'd be used that much. I feel like most people come in, they want to get their job done, and they're not there to pick up a, a round of ping pong or anything like that because ultimately what they want to do is they got a lot of work to do. They got enough work to do. You know, a coffee and whatever food might be catering, it would be a nice bonus, but I like that at least most of these big tech companies are starting to catch on to the idea that the traps that they were using to mimic Silicon Valley culture, counterproductive, and it's actually something that they should have pulled their people on and decided they didn't want it. And they tried that uh, places I've worked at. I've seen things like that before. And it's it's might be fun for a second, but not that far after. Uh, when we come back, this is an interview from 1995. I wanted to replay it because it is a birth date of a very famous radio personality that died some years ago. 
Uh, born on January 21st, 1938, Wolfman Jack would have celebrated his 83rd birthday today. It would have been fun to talk to Wolfman Jack. He would have been one of those great interviews. Uh, and, and when I sit down and think about all of the great types of people that are in broadcasting today that I would love to talk to, I just wish he was still around. And there's so many on the list I should probably reach out to and try to get on the show. But nonetheless, uh, lucky for us, Charlie Brennan had one of the very last interviews with Wolfman Jack before he died back in 1995. He was right here on KMOX. And we're going to play that coming up after the break on Overnight America KMOX. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. News Radio 1120 KMOX, the voice of the Cardinals. Welcome back to Overnight America. Ryan Recker Radio on Facebook if you want to find me there. And for a while, I thought that there was a possibility I could do a show as Wolfman Recker. And then I realized just after doing the Wolfman voice for all of 20 seconds, it pretty much blew out my vocal cords and imagine trying to do that for four hours, so we'll have to pass. Today, Wolfman Jack would have been 83 years old. He was born January 21st, 1938, one of the greatest radio personalities of all time, probably one of the most mimicked and thought of when you think about those classic radio DJs. And it was just so that in 1995, a few weeks before he died, that he picked up the phone and was promoting his latest book, his autobiography, to Charlie Brennan here on KMOX. I had a chance to read that biography. It was really good. I, I learned a lot about him and the crazy antics and things that went on in his career and life. And since it would have been his 83rd birthday today, and last time we aired this, we had a great fan reaction. Let's do it again tonight. Here is Charlie Brennan's interview with Wolfman Jack, recorded just a couple of weeks before he passed away in 1995. Time greats of our business, maybe the best disc jockey from the past 30 years. You loved him in American Graffiti, the Midnight Special, and of course on the 250,000 watt blowtorch, uh, blowtorch XERB from Mexico. 
ladies and gentlemen, Wolfman Jack hey. on KMOX. All right. How you doing, man? Great. How you doing, Wolfman? Is this the Kevin and Charles show? It sure the is. Morning meeting? Yes, it is, sir. All right. Have mercy. Great to have me with you. Who would ever have thought that Wolfman Jack would appear on The Mighty Mox? Well, this is hey. a talk station. Well, you know, the, the KKMOX is one of those legendary radio stations that really used to play the big hits all the time, too, you know. Yeah, but we only have 20% of those 250,000 watts that you had in Mexico. Yeah, but you guys really, you're, you used to be St. Louis, man. Oh, still are. I know. I'm just saying that that's, it's great to be with you, man. Well, uh, what was, uh, you know, 250,000 watts, did you have to drive down there to broadcast? Well, it was a funny thing. What uh, the station was totally self, you know, took care of itself. They had their own generator plant. There wasn't enough electricity in the town of Viacunia to supply electricity to the transmitter. So they had to have their own transmitter, uh, their own uh, diesel engine that the diesel truck would come in every day, you know, and fill up the tanks. And we burned it all out in one night. And they had this big, big thing, it looked like two locomotive engines together. Made a hell of a noise, so we had to keep it. The building was like uh, 500 yards from the actual other building, so you wouldn't hear it. And then the transmitter was a real, real, real piece of machinery in itself. Uh, it was actually built to generate like a million watts, and they had these gigantic driver tubes in it that cost like a million bucks a piece. This is back in '62 now, and. Uh, it was originally built by the uh, people, the RCA people, for the Voice of America. And there's a whole thing I tell you about in the book on how uh, this guy, Arturo Gonzalez, got them to build this thing, and then he never paid them for it. And then there's a whole thing that went on about that. And then the reason I got to take the station over is because that uh, Mr. Gonzalez had run a scam on these preachers where... All these guys were on, like, say, from 7 to midnight. They would be on for, like, 15-minute stretches apiece. And he charged them, like, a million dollars for a lifetime contract, you know. <laughs> and then there was, a, there was a clause in the contract down the bottom there that said, if the station is ever taken over by the Mexican government, you know, this contract is null and void. Well, what happened is he got all this money from these preachers and gave these lifetime contracts. And then he never paid any taxes. And, you know, Mexico is a very socialistic-type country where, you know, they pay for all your dental work and Medicare and everything. And he never paid anything for, like, four years. So he ran up, like, a million-and-a-half-dollar bill with him. So they finally sent in their own interventor, which is, like, the receiver, to take care of the running of the radio station and also collecting the money so they would get their money. So it kind of, like, put Gonzalez out of the picture but he was really still running the thing because he was the one who appointed the receiver. Now, I showed up on the scene just when they were having trouble with this guy, Montes, who was the receiver. And he was a real thrilling type of a crook, you know, the Humphrey Bogart type who was beating up the people in the station. And he wasn't paying them the money and he was pocketing money himself. Everybody was ripping off the radio station. And when I showed up, I, I showed up in the middle of the night one time and saw it in a book. And uh, this guy, Mario Alfaro, who was, who was the only one there who could speak English, I told him that I would help him out, and I'd give him money, and i have that money on me then, and i spread around a few hundred-dollar bills, and everybody started to like me. So, you know, <laughs> That's we, one way to do it, right. Yeah, oh, that always works, man. Just give some, hand somebody a hundred-dollar bill, they're going to listen to you, you know what I mean? And anyway, we managed to 
send some lawyers to Mexico City where they went to the Mexican FCC and they and, and we got rid of this one receiver, this guy Montez, and we pointed our own receiver, and they appointed me the U.S. representative. And that's when Wolfman Jack was born at 12 midnight on that station. See, then the next day when I finally got the receivership in and I was appointed the U.S. representative of the station, then it was in my hands. And I went to the preachers who were on the air at that time, and I said, Hi, uh, this Bob Smith here, and you listen, Reverend Jessup, uh, if you want to be on the air tomorrow night, you're going to have to send me at least three months in advance, and I figure you're playing about ten grand a month. So uh, uh, you'd have to send me $30,000 here. i got to receive it this afternoon, otherwise you don't go on the air the next day. Well, he said, yeah, right, and he hung up the telephone on me. Well, that night, I put Wolfman Jack on the air from 7 until about 4 o'clock in the morning. I had a hell of a time. Here I am, you know, 250,000 watts on this big border blaster and just playing rhythm and blues all night. Well, then the next day, I went back to the preacher. I said, hello, Reverend Jessup. It's old me again. And uh, listen, man, I'm going to ask you one more time. You got to send me that money at 30 grand. Otherwise, you ain't going to hear yourself on the station no more. I'll have to find somebody else to buy this radio time. Oh, yeah, Reverend Smith. How are you? Certainly good to hear from you again. Listen, where do you want me to send that? So we don't want to hear that devil creature on the air again. We definitely want, <laughs> we want to get ourselves back on the air. Oh, Western Union? Oh, right away. Well, I collected about $350,000, bam, like that. Stuck it in the back of my Starfire Oldsmobile convertible, and I sent this guy, Larry Brandon, back to Shreveport with about half the money. I took the other money, went back into Mexico, started greasing everybody, you know, and taking care of, you know, buying a new car for this guy and and taking care of this guy's new baby birth and fixing up this guy's house. So everybody loved a wolf band. I said, oh, we'd love having a wolf band on the air here. Man, that's a heck of a way to start a career. Well, that's where it started. Is That's amazing. It's all in uh, the new book, Have Mercy. The new book, Have Mercy. Yeah, and... Uh, Boy, what a career. I, you know, I think the one scene you were, well, you are in throughout American Graffiti, but the end of the movie, and if you haven't seen it, you got to go see it. I don't want to give it away, but Richard Dreyfus finally visits this guy who's been entertaining all the guys and the gals who've been cruising all night, and they see the Wolfman who actually is a little bit lonely, and it's quiet, and although everyone else is rocking and partying to your music all night long, being the disc jockey is not always all that much fun. There's kind of a facade out there, and I thought that said more about being a disc jockey. Oh, man, sometimes a lot of, a lot of lonely hours. But, you know, the thing is, if, if you really love what you're doing, you know, when you make that communication with those folks out there, and you really got a groove going, and you're really playing your own music, you know, and you're able to segue that stuff together so it creates these subliminal thoughts in those people's heads, you know, if you stay with me for like 15 minutes, I would create a thing where I'd reach a crescendo and always bring little happiness tears to your eyes, give you a great moment, you know? They uh, they uh, gave you $3,000 for your appearance for that movie, but then uh, took care of you afterwards. You want to explain that real quickly? Well, it's a funny thing, man. I, I spent a lot of time with George Lucas when we, we did the music tracks for it, you know, because he wanted to clear all the music, just a one-time payment, you know, so that he wouldn't have to keep paying, you know, as the movie ran. And uh, that was probably the biggest expense for the whole movie because I think he shot the movie for about 150 grand, and uh, then he spent about 350 thousand dollars clearing the music. 
And I spent a lot of time helping them do that. I called the different people that I knew, and we got the best records and the best music we could for the for the movie. And then he was. We spent a lot of time. I, I used to record all my phone calls with people. I still got a ton of them. And uh, he would go through all the phone calls and pick the right ones for the different moments he had in the, in, in, in the picture. And, well, anyway, like you say, I got paid $3,000 to do my little bit in the movie and that little scene that I did and the rest of the stuff that I did for him. And then the movie came out, became a big hit. There was lines around the block, and I got a contract in the mail, which gave me a piece of the movie. So every now, about every quarterly, I get a nice fat check from the American graffiti folks, you know, the universal people, because they sell a lot of they sell a whole lot of video cassettes now too. So it's very nice, and he's a he's a hell of a man, that George Lucas. Wolfman Jack, our guest on the morning meeting, four three six seven nine hundred one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. You used to listen to him, or maybe you saw him on the midnight special. Talk to the Wolfman. Charlie Brennan, as part of the morning meeting, his interview with the legendary Wolfman Jack, ahead of his autobiography, the book that came out. Depending on how you look at it, it's unfortunate that he really didn't live much longer after the autobiography was published. But in a way, I guess we're grateful that those memories were preserved, one of the greatest radio disc jockeys of all time. And it's also a great tie-in that Charlie Brennan, as part of the morning meeting, had that opportunity to talk to him, interview him, over the phone just a few weeks before he passed in 1995. Wolfman Jack would have turned 83 years old today. This is Wolfman Wrecker. Overnight America. KMOX, baby. This is Overnight America, sponsored by Michael's Flooring. The flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com on KMOX. Well, I don't exactly know what we could talk about in this last bit. I had all these different sound bites. Most of them political, but uh, I just I thought that was such a good interview with Wolfman Jack. I wish the full interview was saved. It sounds like they came back and spent more time with him, but that's the the part that was logged from the morning meeting with Wolfman Jack. So it inspired me to get the autobiography and read it. And he tells the George Lucas story. Originally, he was working in California, and they get the call. They George Lucas wants you to be in this movie. And they show up and he thought that he had to pay to get into the movie, as in they were asking him to help finance the movie or whatever in order to be inside the movie. He didn't realize that he, as an actor, would get paid his time to do this. They specifically reached out to him because George Lucas was such a fan. He said no one else could do this part. It has to be Wolfman Jack. And they talked about filming it and everything else that went into it. I think if they filmed it over a couple of days, it was hard to get that one scene in the scene with the popsicles that he did. That was actually improv. Uh, in a way, he came up with some lines, sticky little things, aren't they? That was a line he came up with, and it was just him being him. Wolfman Jack had such a crazy life. I'm, I'm trying to remember, but there was one story over on the other side of Missouri where he was the MC of a concert. Ted Nugent was one of the performers of the concert, and a lady goes into labor and gives birth to a kid. Yeah, she's like up close in front. So they stop the concert. She gives birth. You know, doctor in the house. Kid was fine. And the kid's middle name, in honor of the moment, she decided to name uh, him. And I can't remember the kid's name, but the middle name was Wolfman. So that's kind of a cool little thing. He might be out there listening right now. I'd love to find out who that person is. But as it turns out, I tried to do a search. And there was like, a, I don't know, 50 different people with that name with Wolfman in there. It's like, 
Um, it's, it seems like it's a common thing that people were putting it up there unless there's uncommon or, or maybe Wolfman got around, but you know, he stayed with the same woman. He had issues and he talks about those issues in his autobiography and he talked about her staying by his side and how he would always fight to keep her. And wow, it, there's the whole love story side of it. He did that television show for a long time too. That was on Friday nights. And he was doing his radio show and he's burning himself out flying and doing all of these things. And, you know, people here and all kinds of stuff, people throwing themselves at him. Really wild radio story. One and the only Wolfman Jack. I don't know if there's any that could replicate that sort of thing anymore. So I wanted to read this other story from the L.A. Times. And we start to look at some of the pardons from President Trump on his way out of office. And uh, it said that. For a while there, we thought that Joe Exotic was going to be pardoned from by Donald Trump. He was the Tiger King. And you know what? He was not. Thank goodness. He's in a Fort Worth, Texas prison. There was this elaborate plan to park a limo outside, get some publicity and some people watching it. And it worked because the local news agencies actually put the chopper out there to follow it because they were going to try to get the video of Joe Exotic being released from jail and going into a stretch limousine and leaving his lawyers were very confident that that would happen. Well, it turns out it did not happen. Thank goodness. And they asked Joe exotic, Hey, why don't you think Donald Trump pardoned him? The answer Joe exotic gave was I'm too innocent and too gay. (laughs) He said, (laughs) I only mattered to Don jr. When he needed to make a comment about me on social media, uh, boy, were we all stupid to believe he actually stood for equal justice. His corrupt friends all came first. <laughs> he said he's too innocent and too gay, which almost sounds like a movie title, doesn't it? Wasn't that one of the Fast and Furious titles? So well, <laughs> Joe Exotic stays in jail. I, I'm not surprised. I don't see why you'd let him go. But nonetheless, it still makes me uh, laugh when I see his explanation. It's right in line with the documentary that Netflix put out there. So many people thought it was stupid. But I, like many other people, were sucked right into it, learning that, uh, hey, this was out there. The coronavirus was hitting. People were staying at home, working from home, not leaving. They had all this extra time. And there wasn't a lot of new things coming out at that point. So it just so happened to hit. And it was just like one of those perfect cultural phenomenons. And I haven't thought about him up until right now, and I probably won't think about him ever again. Well, maybe. I'm sure he'll get out at some point. Well, from earlier, Kevin Klein did a great whole nother story. If you haven't actually heard this, there was an 11-year-old boy who was honored for his heroic efforts, and Kevin Klein had a chance to meet up with him. It began on a hot Saturday this past August in North St. Louis. 11-year-old Jaden Groves was with his family in the Hyde Park neighborhood, a family gathering, when he looked around and noticed his 22-month-old toddler brother, Josiah, was missing. We we was um having a family car wash. I noticed that he was gone, so I, 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 I knew that he liked to play in water and swim, so I went over to the water and I saw him. You had to run to the nearby pond at Hyde Park? Yes. What were you thinking when you as you were running over there? I was like, I hope he don't be in here. I was like, I hope he don't be in this water. Had he been in the Hyde Park pond before? No, that was his first time. So what made you think that he might be in the pond of all places? Because he, he likes swimming. He he like act like he's swimming when he in the at home in the tub, and I just knew. Do you ever wonder what led you to go to the pond? Sometimes. You ever think like 
God or an angel or something, your brother calling out to you? What what made you go to the pond and not someplace else? I don't. I, I really don't know. But once you got there, what did you see? I saw my brother laying face down, floating. Oh, boy, that must have been the worst feeling ever. Yeah. What did you do? I, gra- I, gra- I got in there and I grabbed him out. Was the water cold and deep, or what was it like in that pool? Like three feet. So did you have to swim, or did you walk over to him? He was, like, he was like right by the edge. So you got in the water, and then what happened? Yeah, I put like one foot in, and I grabbed him out. Uh, when you first got him out and you had him on the grass, did you talk to him or slap him or try to wake him up? No. <laughs> Could you tell that he was in trouble? Yeah, his face was like pale. I, I ran over to my family then. That's when my my auntie, she started doing CPR on my older cousin. And that didn't work? No, so I went, I, before even before they started doing it, they like called the police and I just ran to the fire department. How far was that to run? It was, it was not that far. It was like down the street. And they were able to save his life? Yes. You got this award today because really, if it wasn't for you, your, bro- your brother would be dead. Uh-huh. How do you think about that? I think about like it's crazy. I never knew this would happen. How old is your brother now? Two. Is that him there? Yeah, Josiah. Come here. <laughs> and do you ever tell him, "Hey, I saved your life. Let me uh, have the last piece of cake" or anything like that? No. How do you think this will affect your relationship as you grow up? It's gonna be. It's gonna like have us a, a strong relationship. Have you ever heard the old Chinese proverb that if you save someone's life, you're responsible for their life for the rest of your life? No, I never heard that. That's 11-year-old Jaden Groves who saved his brother Josiah's life. With a whole other story, I'm Kevin Killeen. Wow, what a great, great story. I think that is so wonderful. And Jaden Groves, God love you. You did an amazing thing, and you 100% deserve to be honored for your life-saving efforts. Well, I wish we had more time. You know, Charlie, I see him calling in, and I wish you would have called in a little bit earlier. Charlie, are you there? Yeah, but if you got to go. Yeah, I know. We got to go. But can you said you have a Wolfman Jack impersonation. Can you do it real quick? I can do it some other time when you're on. Okay, I would like that. But just give me a preview of it because it's timely tonight. No, no, no. I'll let you shut down because you got about five minutes to go. Yeah, no, we got about 20 seconds to go. So if your Wolfman impersonation needs five minutes. This this call will (laughs) self-destruct. I understand. All right, Charlie, we'll do it some other time. I I look forward to the Wolfman Jack impersonation in the future. That does it for us here on Overnight America. Find me on Facebook, Ryan Recker Radio. The weekend is here. So the replay hours are coming up. You can actually get them on the podcast, or you can sit back, relax, enjoy it. We'll be back again Sunday night, and I'm hoping that maybe the next couple of weeks will be a little bit easier on everyone. Have a great one. We'll see you. Bye. My heart beats with the lonely rain. Wishing I could see your face again. Change the dial on the radio. Find something playing kind of bluesy and slow. If things were only like they used to be.
in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app.